You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hi, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us once again. A lot going on this week. The president has been overseas, but the deep state conspiracy, the Kukabal, continues to conspire against him. I'll give you an update on that. New shocking documents, or maybe not so shocking given the way uh, the anti-Trump crowd has been operating, uh, documents out of the Department of Justice showing cash payments to Bruce Orr you're going to want to know about, plus more evidence that documents have gone missing and key information has gone missing in the Clinton email scandal. And as our republic is under assault from within, uh, in terms of the coup uh, attacks on President Trump, we're under assault from the South at our border. And I'll give you an update on the crisis, which isn't getting better. It's actually getting worse. Uh, the border crisis is, uh, is a key issue that deserves more attention. And the president's taking key action. And we'll talk about that and uh, the continuing dire threats to our national security from the border. Uh, first up, though, is the Justice Department documents we just obtained from um, the, just, well, the Justice Department, obviously. Now, these are documents, evidently, we didn't have to sue for. So it's a remarkable, uh, remarkable that we were able to get the documents. But we've asked for documents about Bruce Orr. Now, this is what's important to know. Bruce Orr is the Justice Department official who was the chief link between the Justice Department and the Clinton camp in the form of uh, Christopher Steele. The Clinton hired DNC, hired Fusion GPS spy that was providing fake information to the Justice Department and the FBI about Russia and Donald Trump. Now, Christopher Steele, as Judicial Watch has already uncovered, was paid in 2016 11 times by the FBI. Again, this is during the campaign. At the same time, he's being hired and being paid by uh, the Clinton cutout firm Fusion GPS. So you had this joint operation between the FBI uh, the Obama Comey FBI, the Justice Department, and, Christo- and, and uh, Christopher Steele to get Donald Trump. This is all happening in, during the presidential campaign. Uh, Judicial Watch also uncovered that Steele was fired by the FBI as a confidential informant because it turned out he was leaking when he wasn't supposed to be leaking. So what did the FBI do? They used Bruce Orr, a senior Justice Department official, to uh, act as an intermediary to get dirt on Trump from Christopher Steele into the FBI and DOJ. Now, why is Bruce Orr's role important here and problematic? Well, it's problematic because once he wasn't used, uh, because he wasn't deemed to be worthy of a, uh, 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 deemed worthy as a confidential informant, why would they continue to use him as a confidential informant using this Justice Department official as uh, a, a cutout to talk to him. And then secondly, Bruce Orr was conflicted because Bruce Orr knew Steele not because they were buddies, they may have uh, arguably known each other from prior work, but because Bruce Orr's wife, Nellie, worked for Fusion GPS. So you had this conflict of interest which was really could not be mitigated in any significant way. So Bruce Orr continued to act as an intermediary for the FBI in their Get Trump effort. And Judicial Watch, Judicial Watch uncovered the documents showing 60 plus communications between Bruce Orr and Christopher Steele 
in 2016, late 2016, and in 2017. So once it became known, and I don't know how it was going to be made public, but the G Justice Department probably acted knowing it was going to be public, that Bruce Orr was in secret communication with Christopher Steele, secret in the sense that the public wasn't aware of it. You can bet the Justice Department knew about it. He was moved out of his position. He was said, don't talk to him anymore. I would think he was told, don't talk to him anymore. He was moved out of that senior position he was in, uh, moved out of the uh, organized crime division he was in to uh, some sort of, uh, I guess, kicked upstairs to uh, the international office at the Justice Department. I'll give you the details. Now, you would think that would result in negative job consequences for him. Oh, no. In fact, he got a raise. After he was, the documents show, after he was, kicked, he was demoted effectively, he was given a $2,600 um, $2, or so raise. On top of that, he was given an unusual bonus as he began this intermediary relationship where Christopher Steele on behalf of the Comey FBI, $28,000. So this is what Judicial Watch is really great about. So you hear Bruce Orr was demoted, he was moved, he was talking to Christopher Steele, and it's outrageous. Well, we agree with all of that, but we want to know the details. So when they say he was removed from his position, we ask for the personnel files showing the removal. And we know which specific documents to ask for. We ask for the communications between Bruce Orr and Christopher Steele. Now you would think Congress is doing that. Well, I think they try to sometimes but they rarely get anywhere as efficiently as Judicial Watch does. So it's often Judicial Watch that's in the lead in getting these types of documents. And so we asked for documents about uh, his removal, and uh, these are called uh, Notification of Personnel Action Forms, SF-50, for those of you familiar with the personnel system of the United States government, and Request for Personnel Action, SF-50. 40, 52 forms, and we asked for them back in January of last year. So it took them a long time for them to give them to us, but they gave them to us, or at least some of them. Uh, the documents show that on November 13, 2016, Orr was given a performance award of $28,000. It's a bonus. That was during the time, of course, of his deep involvement in uh, the Justice Department surveillance of Trump's presidential campaign. Uh, the spying on, the gathering of dirt on, and the bonus was nearly double of the prior year's bonus of $14,250. So during this whole mess, he was given, let's say, 28 and 14 is over, what, $40,000 in cash performance bonuses uh, during his involvement in the Russiagate plot against President Trump. And it was a plot against President Trump. There never was a good faith basis by Bruce Orr or anyone else in the United States government to suggest that Donald Trump was colluding with the Russians or any of his people were. Remember, there was never a good faith basis. You hear noises about Papadopoulos and Carter Page and all this and all that. Nothing panned out. There's nothing warranting a spy anti-Trump operation like the DOJ and the FBI engaged in. Politics warranted because they didn't want him to win, and if he won, they wanted to destroy him, hence the Kukabal. But there was no evidence, and that's why the Attorney General of the United States 
has expressed dissatisfaction of what he saw and has tasked the Justice Department prosecutor, U.S. attorney in Connecticut, to begin at least investigating it, following Judicial Watch's lead. So all the big noise is made about, uh, or once it's found out, he gets removed. So we found the document when he was removed and transferred from the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. So that's where I knew Bruce Orr through Judicial Watch's work because we had a client many years ago uh, who was dealing with Bruce Orr and his Organized Crime Division. So I remember him from back then. And he was shifted to Counselor for International Affairs. So he's caught talking to someone he wasn't supposed to be talking to, Christopher Steele, because of his conflicted relationship because his wife was getting paid by Fusion GPS. He's working together with her colleague. And it's a real scandal. And so what do they do? They give him this job, Counselor for International Affairs in the Department of Justice Criminal Division. To say the title kind of tells you it's probably not a job taxpayers ought to be funding at all. And he received a $2,600 pay increase. Only in Washington do you get caught in a scandal and get a pay raise. That's the federal government for you. But of course, it's no surprise because what was his effort? It was designed to get Donald Trump. It was part of the coup effort. It wasn't law enforcement, it was politics. And he gets a pay raise. So Judicial Watch uncovered this. And you know, we have five lawsuits related to Bruce Orr federal FOIA lawsuits, Freedom of Information Act, it's the document law. Just recently we found that Bruce Orr was in conversations with the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State about the targeting of Trump with the Steele dossier. He's sending, this person sending information to Steele. And Orr says, I, uh, to Orr, excuse me, he, the State Department officials are sending information to Orr. I really hope we can get something going here. Or was no neutral way station for information. He was an advocate for going after President Trump. And then there's another email between his wife and Bruce Orr that we found, where Nellie writes, I'm gonna delete the emails. Of course, they were probably Russia emails based on the context of the email. So you had the Justice Department sending improperly e emails to Nellie Orr, who worked for Hillary Clinton through Fusion GPS, and they're deleting emails of those communications. Now, if you were a private sector employee, or if you were a, government, or if you were a company, or a mobster, or anyone like that, and you were caught doing this, you know what happened? They do what they did to Paul Manafort and Roger Stone, they raid your home guns drawn, raid your business. But when the Justice Department's committing the crimes, what's done? It's left to Judicial Watch to do FOIA work. I sure hope Attorney General Barr uh, gets on the ball here. We also, again, I talked about the emails we uncovered through our other lawsuits showing the communications between Orr and Christopher Steele. Payments by Christopher Steele that ended as a result of his leaking information 
to get Trump, because that's what he was hired to do, get Trump. So the FBI went through Bruce Orr to talk to him. And we have the details of Bruce Orr's communications, not only with Christopher Steele, but Glenn Simpson. So, uh, and of course, we're asking for the infamous 302 reports that were supposed to be declassified, but have yet to be declassified by the administration. President Trump is committed to declassifying this information. These 302 reports are the interviews that the FBI conducted with Bruce Orr about his illicit communications with Christopher Steele. Congress knows they're out there. They want them. We sued for them. We want them. The Attorney General of the United States can release them. Certainly Director Ray can release them. They've yet to be released. But we're in court on it. In the meantime, and I don't want to leave this part out of the news, you have this corruption, you have this corruption at the Justice Department uncovered by Judicial Watch that's extensive, goes from DOJ to FBI, the State Department. And you have the Speaker of the House of Representatives whose political party was involved in this kookaball. They hired, remember, the Democratic National Committee hired Christopher Steele, who used fake Russia intelligence, meaning Russia intelligence likely uh, fabricated to harm Donald Trump. This is a political party operation. So the leadership of that political party is still abusing its power. They did it during the Obama administration. Now they're doing it in the House. Nancy Pelosi quite uh, obviously uh, leaked or talked in a way to be sure that it would be leaked because she's pretending to be against impeachment. And what's her response? I want to see President Trump in jail. This is the left today. If they don't like your politics, they want to put you in jail. Sure enough, you have the House of Representatives about to vote contempt on Attorney General Barr and Donald McGahn, the White House counsel, over what? Donald McGahn can't talk to the, uh, to the House because there's executive privilege. Why would you hold him in contempt over that? It's a lawful assertion of privilege. And this idea that the Attorney General is going to be held in contempt over a few lines in the Re Mueller report, which I'm going to get to in a minute as well, is absurd and abusive. You know, Eric Holder was held in contempt, and rightly so, by the House. You know what had, had, to, had to have happened for, that to be held in, for him to be held in contempt? Well over a year passed. What was Congress interested in? What was the House interested in? They were interested in the Fast and Furious uh, scandal, uh, which is the scandal uh, where the Obama administration, specifically the Justice Department and the ATF, uh, knowingly allowed illegal guns to travel to Mexico, be sold and travel to Mexico, and they'd be tracking them with the hopes that they showed up in crime scenes. They were arming the cartels knowingly with the hopes they'd be show up in crime scenes. Why would they want to do that, you wonder, huh? It's because they were trying to make the political argument against the Second Amendment to restrict sales here in the United States. In order to do so, they were willing to see people harmed and get killed. Brian Terry, Border Patrol agent, killed in an incident involving fast and furious weapons. Hundreds have died, both here and in the United States, 
and in Mexico. And when Congress started sniffing around about it, Justice Department said, oh, we don't know what you're talking about. And then later, they admitted, oh yeah, well, we did kind of what Tom Fitton said we did. They didn't say it like that, but they admitted they were involved in that scandal. And so what did Congress want to know? I'm going through this because the history is important, because that's what a real scandal is, as opposed to the fake scandal that's being created by the Pelosi gang to try to destroy President Trump. Congress wanted to know, we want details on why we were lied to about this fast and furious scandal, this gun running scandal set up by Eric Holder. And the, and the Justice Department refused to turn over the documents about why Congress was lied to, the false information that was given to Congress. And that resulted in a multi-month, almost year-long battle. And at the last minute, in order to protect Holder, Barack Obama fraudulently asserted executive privilege to protect him. That is why Eric Holder was held in contempt. And the House tried to get the documents by going into federal court, and it just took forever and a day up until Judicial Watch broke the logjam by getting the documents essentially released to us through FOIA which took a lot of the wind out of the sails of the Obama Justice Department's efforts to hold them from Congress. Again, we, we did the leadership work here, even though Congress made the first move in finding contempt against Eric Holder. Compare and contrast that with Attorney General Barr. You have this Mueller dossier released. Barr releases it immediately in large measure to Congress. There's an argument over grand jury material and other sensitive documents. 19 days pass and the committee passes a contempt resolution against him. That's a star, that's a, that's a, that's a star chamber type of situation. That isn't legislative function. I mean, that's just abuse of power. So, and, and so as the House slithers through to impeachment, we're finding out more information about the Mueller report. It turns out one of the, and, and of course, if you've paid attention to Judicial Watch or uh, to these updates, you've known from the get-go the Mueller report was no good. That's why I oppose the very idea of these anti-Trump partisans writing a report on the president. Sure enough, the report just proceeded. Deep State was running the show. And you had 400 pages of rumor, innuendo, legal higgle-piggle, argo-bargle, whatever you want to call it. And you had Mueller double down on this a few weeks ago, or last week, or the last week or two, I forget when it is, suggesting the president should be impeached over his garbage report, which showed no obstruction, no collusion. No obstruction, no collusion means no impeachment, obviously. And now the details are dribbling out because we all knew we couldn't trust Mueller because the report turns out to be inaccurate in terms of having material information left out of the report. 
For instance, there's much noise made in the report of a phone call between then President, uh, President Trump's then lawyer, John Dowd. He left a voicemail message to the lawyer, uh, General Flynn. And they made it seem like he was trying to, to thwart testimony or, or and in fact, Dowd was saying, hey, you know, what's going on? Let us know if you can. The let us know if you can part was left out of the Mueller report. Why? Because it makes the phone call look more innocent than Mueller tried to mislead you and the American people about. And it's breaking now that there's a State Department informant who's not listed as such, but presented as some sort of Russia spy or, or plant was involved with the Trump campaign. So the report suggests it was this Russia spy plant involved with the Trump campaign, when in fact, it was a State Department guy left out by Mueller in this report. If I were the Attorney General of the United States, I would disavow the report. I guess you can't pull it back. It's already out there. I'd say you can't rely on this. You know, the FDA, when there's a dangerous drug out there, they put a, they call a bureaucratic speak, it's a black box warning is required, right? You may have heard of that. There needs to be a legal black box warning on the Mueller dossier. You can't trust it. And when we talk about investigating the investigators, Mueller and his team need to be part of that investigation. Who was behind this effort to mislead the public in order to get Donald Trump impeached? This battle isn't over, folks. And that's why we've uh, conducted a number of Freedom of Information Act requests or initiated a number of Freedom of Information Act requests for the background on this deep state assault on President Trump. Uh, as an aside, if you haven't read or seen the Attorney General's interview with CBS News recently, I encourage you to do so. We'll put up a link. The Attorney General knows what's happening. We don't want Russians interfering with our elections if indeed that happened. But we also don't want unelected bureaucrats and appointees, as General Barr called it, acting as a Praetorian guard who think they know better than the American people and are going to undermine the president. This sedition must be exposed and those involved in it held accountable. Simple. And we're doing our part with over 50 lawsuits to expose what went on. So there you go. I got to keep my energy up because there's more scandal here. Clinton email documents we've uncovered, again, showing documents going missing. It's remarkable. I told you last week, we had a group of documents come out. The FBI was helping Hillary Clinton just before the election, giving her a special heads up on documents. And you know, it's so outrageous because the documents show Hillary Clinton uh, wanted her FBI 302 report, which is a narrative report of her sham interview uh, before the election. 
And so the FBI general counsel helped Hillary's lawyer file the appropriate paperwork on Hillary Clinton's behalf. And sure enough, it was released within weeks. And in there, they say, we'll give him, yeah, sure, we can give her a heads up before it's put up on the FBI website. And I thought, that never happens for Judicial Watch. I've never talked. None of our lawyers ever talked to the general counsel for the FBI. They don't help us on our FOIAs. And Lord knows they don't give us heads up on documents that are released before they're released. And these documents specifically that, that, again, they just put up without telling us first, but I guess if we're Hillary, we get special political treatment, show notes about a meeting with Intelligence Community Inspector General about Clinton emails were missing, and a CD containing the notes is likely damaged irreparably. Irreparably, isn't that convenient? And these documents were put up on the FBI's website. Actually, there's new documents going up there today they didn't give us a heads up on. as a result of a FOIA lawsuit by Judicial Watch. So we asked for the documents Hillary Clinton was asking for, but we had to get a lawsuit to get them all, right? So this is the FBI investigative file, more or less, of the Clinton email sham investigation, or sham email investigation. On number four, on or about February 4, 2016, special agents, names redacted, attempted to locate redacted, describes as notes for meeting acquired by redacted. They looked through all the case materials. However, they were not able to locate this item. So they consider it missing. And what is it? It's notes of a meeting between the special, uh, the inspector general for the intelligence community and the FBI team. Why is it important that those notes be uncovered and disclosed? Because I believe, and I'm speculating here, so take this as an educated guess, that the notes reference a discussion and a warning given by the IG of the, inspect of the intelligence community to Peter Strzok, who was running the investigation effectively for the FBI at the time, that the Clinton's email system, namely Hillary Clinton's email server, had likely been hacked in some way by the Chinese in a way that allowed them to get a copy of all the emails that were being sent and received. The timing is uh, according to Louis Gohmert, about the same time, because he says the meeting took place in 2015. And sure enough, uh, the meeting that we're referencing here was in August of 2015. And Gohmert exposed that the investigator advised Strzok of an anomaly on Hillary Clinton's emails going through the private server. The forensic analysis found that all those emails, except four, over 30,000, were going to an address that was not on the distribution list. It was later reported that it was a Chinese state-owned company that hacked Clinton's email server. The ICIG referred the Clinton email investigation to the FBI on July 6, 2015, 
just after a, under, under a month before the meeting for which the notes were lost. So this is to think about like this. You have this agency refer to the FBI in investigation targeting the presumed nominee for the Democratic Party for president. They have a big meeting within a month and they lose the notes for those meetings, for that meeting. And this is on top. Oh, this is where I got distracted. So I talked about the FBI helping Hillary Clinton, right? On top of that, the, the, those same groups of documents show the FBI didn't bother creating 302 reports, interview reports of four witnesses. Those are missing. So we have four witness interview reports missing, and now the notes of a key meeting between the FBI and the intelligence community about Hillary Clinton's email server. What, draw, what conclusions do you draw from that? Well, you can draw two conclusions. One conclusion is that there's a cover-up in the sense they don't want us to see the documents. They didn't like what they heard at the meetings. They didn't like what the witnesses said, so they don't want that information to see the light of day. The other conclusion is equally corrupt is that the investigation was a joke. And when something's a joke, you don't bother following the rules. You don't care about the notes. You don't care about recording interviews the way you're supposed to. You allow Hillary Clinton to do whatever she wants. Bill Clinton can meet with the Attorney General of the United States, a putative witness and maybe target. James Comey can run the investigation out of his back pocket because it's all a sham. It's not a real investigation, it's political. Draw whatever conclusion you want. Now, you may think it's an innocent explanation. Oh, I guess you can draw that conclusion as well. But I think that would be naive. And it's certainly inconsistent with all the other information out there. Again, this is Judicial Watch uncovering more concerning behavior by the Comey FBI. And I put that nicely, don't I? about the Clinton email scandal. And it's not just FOIA lawsuits. I will remind you that Judicial Watch is doing the heavy lifting right now in federal court with discovery. We're taking witness testimony on the Clinton email issue thanks to a ruling by a federal court judge who wants to know the following, whether Hillary Clinton's email system was set up to, to evade and avoid FOIA, whether his court was hoodwinked, whether they wanted to shut down our case so they could get away with hiding the Clinton emails and whether there are other Clinton emails out there that need to be found. And so we've been deposing witness after witness, one of which recently testified, the top security official at the FBI, that Hillary Clinton was warned twice on her Clinton emails, excuse me, on her Blackberry use and a personal email use, the security consequences of doing that, the security risk. And obviously she ignored the risk. I tell you what, if you're warned not to do something and you do it anyway, hmm, how does that fit in with someone later just saying that you had no intent to break the rules? Obviously, it doesn't fit in well, does it? But that was James Comey's corrupt collusion and cover-up for Hillary Clinton. She had no intent, as if, that, as, if even, as if even the law required that. It didn't. So we're in the middle of it. You know, and, and 
and I want to remind you of this. There's no Russia gate without Clinton email gate. One was designed to provide cover for the other. They didn't want Hillary Clinton ever to be prosecuted. How could they? They were working with her to target her political opponent. So that wasn't going to work. But then they had the danger of the Justice Department being run by someone else other than a Clinton operative because she lost the election. So what did they do? They doubled down on this Russiagate hoax and effectively froze the Justice Department from doing anything else other than Russia and protecting Hillary for the last two years. I hope things have been broken at Justice, or at least that logjam, that, that things are unfrozen as a result of the, Mueller, the collapse of the Mueller investigation. It didn't end, it collapsed. We'll see, but it doesn't matter because we're going to do the work anyway. Justice Department doesn't do it. You know, it's more of the same. But we're getting accountability the best way we're able to for you, the American people, in the meantime. So we got this threat to, this Repu to our republic here in Washington, D.C. It's no surprise that Washington, D.C. has been unable to address the threat to our republic at the border. The president is doing um, really yeoman's work in some regards. I think he should do more. But he's done more than any other president in American history to address the immigration crisis, which has just grown worse over the last year because of judicial rulings, discussions of amnesty, and a complete breakdown of the federal government's ability to respond to the numbers because the numbers are overwhelming. The latest numbers are, according to a report this week, I don't have the exact number, it's going to be well over a million aliens just at the southern border alone, captured. They're almost all released into the United States. We have no southern border. And as I've told you before, we don't control the border. We don't control our side of the border. The Mexican government doesn't control their side of the border. The cartels do. And Judicial Watch has been in the forefront of exposing uh, the cartel operations in the border. We've been going down there for years. We're not Johnny-come-latelys to this story. Our own Chris Farrell, I, I call, he was down there flying around 10 years ago looking at cartel, really military-like operations 60 miles inside the border where they have spotting locations to help bring the drug traffic up north. And of course, the cartels are stronger than ever because they uh, really are the key instigators of the human trafficking operations resulting in the border crisis. And they need to be treated like the terrorist organizations they are. We've talked about the need to designate them as foreign terrorist organizations. The state of Ohio is considering a uh, legislative statement supporting that as well. A veteran drug enforcement agency uh, official, senior agent, top guy at DEA for years, he testified over there, Derek Maltz. 
Mexican drug cartels, this is from Judicial Watch's latest Corruption Chronicles. Mexican drug cartels have headquarters throughout the United States are one of the country's greatest criminal national security and public health threats. Yes, public health threats. Media doesn't want to tell you about the public health threat. But simply the volume and the number and the sanitary conditions of those who are traveling here have caused unprecedented health threats to not only those caught up in the illegal alien human smuggling operations, those who are dealing with it are frontline law enforcement and personnel, and of course, innocent Americans. Mr. Maltz, the Mexican cartels have left a trail of blood using intimidation and terrorist acts of ruthless violence. Maltz established uh, the Counter-Narco-Terrorism Operations Center before, Center before retiring from the F, uh, DEA. The cartels engage in beheadings, car bombings, dissolving humans in acid, mass murder, torture, bombings, and political assassinations. Their actions are consistent with the behavior of traditional governments with bribes and corruption. Compares them in terms of mind manipulation and behavioral modification to terrorist organizations such as Al-Qaeda. This was in testimony in Ohio. It's certainly consistent with everything we've known about what the terrorists are up to. So what do we do about the border? Well, the president has come up with an innovative solution that may do something very significant in curtailing the numbers. He's threatened Mexico with a series of tariffs if they don't stop the border traffic. This is what's going on. The Mexicans let you get, they, there's a southern border of Mexico that can, is easily secured. And what happens is the Mexicans essentially allow anyone going into the United States to pass through. As long as they're committed to going into the United States, they don't care. And President Trump is like, well, this is not right. <laughs> we have to change Mexico's behavior. So he's come up with the solution that if this problem is not curtailed sufficiently, Mexico is going to face a 5% tariff. And the tariff is going to escalate up to 25% if it continues. Oh, the most ridiculous thing is to see the Republicans react to this. You have these Senate Republicans complaining about this. Tariffs aren't the way to go. Well, what is the way to go? Are you aware of Senate Republicans doing anything in terms of leadership to address the border crisis? The House, out to lunch. The House just, I don't know what the final vote was, passed a massive amnesty proposal, which encourages more illegal immigration. Even talking about amnesty encourages illegal immigration. So the House is passing an amnesty proposal. The Republican-controlled Senate is doing nothing. And the president sees this crisis. He's not getting any support from Congress. 
He's trying to build the wall using the authorities under the Constitution, fighting the courts to do that, trying to control the influx. So he comes up with this tariff solution. And the Mexicans are acting, surprise, surprise, despite the whine from Congress, bipartisan. The Mexicans said, we'll send 6,000 troops to the border and we'll reform our asylum practices, potentially to make sure that no one is able to swarm the border as the United States once done. Now, whether that works out or not, I don't know. But it's great, isn't it, that the Mexicans are acting in a sufficient way, at least initially? It's amazing what a threat of economic sanctions will do. Now, I've suggested the president should deploy the military on both sides of the border to secure the military, to secure the border. It's that important. We need to have more interior enforcement. The DHS is um, AWOL. DHS leadership is AWOL on this. There's all sorts of enforcement, interior enforcement they can do that they're afraid to do because they don't want the headlines. They can deport these individuals who are here illegally, all these people being released and then subject to deportation orders because they don't show up. They can be found and deported. They can increase the interior enforcement, but they don't want to do that for political reasons. I know, I would suspect, I don't know for a fact, the president would want this done. So these are a few things I think you need to do. I think you need to call the Senate, call your senators, and tell them to get on the ball with defending the border. Do everything necessary. Now look, I know the House is unlikely to pass legislation. I mean, they're trying to make the border less secure. But to have these senators throwing spitballs at President Trump over this tariff thing, and I don't want to get into the politics of it, but we got a border crisis here. Our rule of law is under assault. Our nation's at stake. And Congress is AWOL. And that's the leadership of both parties. Now, thankfully, Congress, the House Republicans, they say they're not going to try to get in the way of the president's tariffs. But the Republicans in the Senate may undermine him. So share your views on that. 202-224-3121. Call your senators and ask them what they believe should be done on the border and share with them what you believe should be done about the border crisis. And you can bet in the meantime, Judicial Watch will continue its, its investigations, which include on the ground, in-person investigations, both on the border and in Central America. Our lawsuits to stop the abuses of the rule of law we have this major lawsuit ongoing in San Francisco, challenging that sheriff's sanctuary policy there that leads to the dangerous release of criminal aliens. And then, of course, we have our Freedom of Information Act requests. And more is coming. So a lot to talk about this week. Uh, there's a lot to be upset about. But let me reassure you of this. I know sometimes things look out of control. but with Judicial Watch, you can be sure there is a way to gain control because we use the tools available to us under law 
to bring the government back down under control. So if Congress isn't going to do it, if the executive branch isn't going to do it, Judicial Watch is able to do it. Now, it's not perfect, but where would we be without Judicial Watch? On scandal after scandal, the IRS scandal, the Benghazi scandal, the Clinton email scandal, Fast and Furious, the coup attempts against President Trump, the sedition, the deep state attacks on our system of government, holding Congress accountable, and of course the border crisis, election integrity. We're in the forefront of all of this, and the country would be a lot worse off, dare I say it, but for Judicial Watch. And it's thanks to your support that we're able to do all this important work I'm talking about. And I'll end with another call for support for Judicial Watch, which is, in my view, uh, one of the most important institutions here in the United States right now. Thank you very much, and I'll see you next week. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.